This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Join Justin Townsend and the Harvesting Nature crew as they explore the world of cooking wild fish and game while sharing recipes, tips, tricks, and lessons learned from their pursuit of wild food. We sure hope you ate before the show, because you're going to leave hungry. This is the Wild Fish and Game Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back to Harvesting Nature's Wild Fish and Game Podcast. you got your host here. Justin Townsend, that's me. And uh, today uh, we're doing another crew chat, and this time we've got a great topic. I'm going to get to it in just a minute, but first we're going to go through do some updates and whatnot. So on the the front for me, been doing a lot of fishing lately. Uh, in between the end of of all the regular hunting seasons in the fall and the winter, in this weird like springtime pre-turkey go uh so been targeting fish lobster stone crabs um weather's been a little wonky so i haven't been doing as much spear fishing because visibility is pretty pretty crappy but uh got out on the back country in the flats here in the keys and, and targeted some fish looking to do some more catching cooks cooking some food up on the sandbar and whatnot um but yeah we'll see uh, also, too, I, w- I want to mention we're going to hit on the Adventures for Food uh, podcast series, but I want to hit on the Adventures for Food film series. So this is our our plan to do a monthly release of a, I would say, 10 to 15 minute or no, 15 to 20 minute uh, film, short film that we've put together. Uh, you'll you'll see me and you'll hear my voice and see the delicious food that, that we create uh, based off of whatever adventure you're watching at the time. And the first one's over on our YouTube channel and it's a uh, adventures for food, Wyoming. So we're up in Wy- uh, central Wyoming looking for antelope up there with AJ and his dad art. If you, if you go back in the, 
podcast episodes, you'll hear a little more detail about that. And there's a lot of articles and related content that we've created over the, the past few months after that trip. But you can go there and see it all visually and listen to some great music. Big shout out to uh, Ryan over at The Way We Hunt. He uh, produced it. So all the cool edits and flashy things uh, in that. Uh, you can thank him for it. Uh, quite the entertaining video. So go check that out. And uh, also in addition to that, we're going to be doing some, uh, hopefully some Q&A sessions. We'll do a little screening, uh, probably midway point between releases of between two films, do a Q&A with those involved in the film. So um, myself and AJ uh, will screen a video real quick uh, on Facebook and on Instagram live. And then we'll do a question and answer session with, with whoever wants to, to chime in and ask questions. So cool opportunity to talk directly with us about the trip. If you're interested in hunting in the places we go, kind of getting some hot tips or things to do along the way, great taco spots, anything like that. So, uh, but yeah, so Corey, what do you got going on in the world of, of ice and snow? We, yeah, we still got got <laughs> still got some good ice. Although it did get in the fifties up here today, so it was warm snap. Walking around in a t shirt outside, Ooh. yes. But uh, it's Oregon weather for you. <laughs> but uh, doing some, still doing some ice fishing. Although we haven't had much luck. Tried out a new new lake this past weekend, but not even a nibble. Not a nibble. But and then. No nibbles, but do you use one of those cameras whenever you whenever you do it so you can see what's down there? I have a, it's called a flasher, so it's it's I don't I think it's sonar. You know, you can see see where the bottom is, and if there you can mark it'll mark any any fish that swim by, but it's just a blip. It's just a a red dot on a screen. You you can't tell if it's a fish or of weed floating or how big it is or anything like that. But it does help you figure out how deep, how deep of a spot you're in. And if, if anything swims by and when, Oh, a couple of years ago when we, we got into a nice school of perch and you could watch the flasher and the little red dot, you can see your jig down there too. It, it, it flashes as a red dot and you can see, one dot chase the other red dot. And then as soon as that happens, you can feel the, the bump, bump, bump on your line. And you, you know, you got, so it's, it's like a little, it's like a old school video game, but we were out. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. We were out fishing with, with our uh, Cub Scout group a couple weeks ago. And one of the guys there had an underwater camera and it was, it the camera and the screen was surprisingly clear. Hmm. It, it I, like it was, then that was like a true video game. Like I was watching the fish go after, after my jig and, and get frustrating when they're sitting there looking at it, but they don't want to bite and they go n- next to it and they nudge it a little bit, but they don't want to bite. But it was definitely entertaining, frustrating, but entertaining. So I was, I was looking into how much one of those costs. It's not, not as much as you'd think they are. Seems like if you could figure out a way to make the the connection for a GoPro, I wonder if you could Bluetooth a GoPro from underwater to like your cell phone, and if you could drop it, yeah, yeah. maybe. Although, although the these underwater cameras that I was looking at, and I think that this guy had, uh, are 
a fraction of the cost of a GoPro. 150 bucks. Oh, that's way cheaper. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, I'm still debating on whether I want to, if I can justify the 150 bucks for, you know, the three, three to six times I go a year. I mean, is it, is it going to make you catch more fish? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it'll keep the kids interest a little bit more. There you go. That's a good strategy. I think it's, uh, it would be worth it if like the value of the fish, this is how I weigh like buying new equipment. I'm sure a lot of people do this too, but like if the, the value of the fish that you catch is greater than the value of the equipment that you use, then it'll end up being worth it. But like if you're paying $10,000 for a piece of equipment, that's going to get you one animal that's going to get you maybe a thousand dollars worth of food. Then yeah, I don't know if that's worth it to me. Just my personal opinion. Yeah. Yeah. It, it would, it'd probably pay for itself over time, but I don't know. I don't know the, the quality, you know, how durable this thing is. If it's basically shot after one season of use or if you can get, you can use it for, you know, right. five, 10 years. Yeah. I, uh, I was going to say you start doing, can you record videos from it though? I don't know if you guys already talked about this. I, that that's, I, I don't know. I don't know if you can actually record. That's a good question. I, I think that would be but, cool just from a yeah. content creator standpoint. Cause I, you know, I have little exposure to what, what ice fishing looks like. So I think that would be a great point of, uh, point of documentation that you could do, uh, with the cameras. I, I mean, it's just when, when you're at that depth, you don't see the ice. So it's just, just like fish swimming around in water. So, yeah, I mean, it's still cool okay. though. <laughs> um, right. Yeah. It was, it was, it was fun watching, you know, the kids got to, to, to use it and, and watch the, the fish take their bait. So they are excited about that. Nice. But then, uh, we, uh, there, there's, you know, with the snow on the ground, it makes seeing the movement of the deer a lot easier. So we, my one son and I have been taking some walks in the woods and checking out some areas and finding where the deer like to hang out and checking our trail cameras. We got a lot of pictures of bucks that have already uh, dropped their antlers and uh, got a couple pictures of, of different fishers. I have cameras set up in two different locations that are far enough apart that they wouldn't be the same, wouldn't be the same one. So I got a couple fishers. So maybe I'll, I'll take up trapping next year. Ooh, yeah. Man, we just had the conversation uh, on on game fats. Got to get in the beaver trapping, man. One of my co- one of my coworkers is looking into that out here. Actually, once he retires, he retires in a couple of years, so he's looking into getting into trapping out here. Yeah, it it, it seems pretty. You know, they're they're doing it right. And if you go back a couple episodes, you'll you'll see the chewing the fat episode where we talk about all the different game fats. Uh, the folks over at Elevated Wild, and it's um. Man, we that was just a great conversation. I really enjoyed that one. It was. So did I. But man, so much more. You know, people. We had this. This was a, a very good conversation point. And I'm glad we we kind of went down this because it it lets me talk about it a little bit. But uh, um, when you think about beaver, right? People eating trapping beaver and eating beaver. That uh, 
it, you don't hear about people eating the meat a lot. And when you do, it's usually kind of like pretty standard. I would say that I was, I was surprised in conversations of the use of the tail. So I'm, I'm, I'm interested to experiment with uh, trying to get some beaver tails too. And obviously I'm not in a position where I can geographically go out and trap beavers in the Florida Keys, but maybe next year. Yeah, there, there's no beavers in the Keys? No beavers down not, there. Not the kind <laughs> you want to trap. <laughs> <laughs> hey, this is a family show. Keep it clean. Depends who you oh, ask. Sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> uh Justin, that, that actually reminds me. So there was a – Steve Brunello had talked about that, about using the beaver tail and, like, basically making a bacon out of it. And one of my coworkers – well, two – one of my coworkers found a dead beaver about a month ago, maybe maybe a month and a half ago, and then called my other coworker who's trying to get – who's the one who wants to get into trapping and he's trying to get into taxidermy and all that stuff. Uh, so he went over, picked up this, like, 30 pound beaver. Uh, I'm assuming it's 30 pounds. I didn't weigh it. This thing was heavy because it was in a whole Tupperware, like one of those big mm-hmm. Tupperware chests. And, um, but I asked him if he's going to do anything with the tail. And he's like, no, I don't really know how it died. I don't want to, you know, if it died of some kind of disease or anything, I don't want to catch anything from it. Um, Cause I asked him if he was going to use the tail and, and try and make something out of it based on Renella's uh, experiences with cooking. Yeah. It, uh, but I think he just, he's just gonna make it i think so um a lot a lot of people went for the um you know you you hear about the traditional like roasting the beaver over the fire the beaver tail and pulling the skin off and eating it that way and kind of just like gnawing your way through the fat and all that and we we talked about that um and man just the so they used here's here's some fun stuff with beaver tails so they used a uh, beaver tail lardo so it's like uh you thinly slice it it's cured basically uh and you you get like the little shavings of fat and stuff in there uh jamaican beaver tail stew i'm just flipping through their their page here tons of that what was it they were talking about like a uh um it was like a a cured beaver ham almost like a like an iberco ham so like prosciutto and all that other stuff where it's like thinly sliced like charcuterie like a year-long cure on it right uh and they're like i'm a big big charcuterie fan it's a just like a huge commitment of time um but they said it was absolutely phenomenal and then just brining and doing beaver hams um I guess the it, the fat content in beavers and just the way that they settle up is is like so superb that it lends well to a lot of the the curing and preservation methods. So it, it it's a little more less susceptible to drying out, uh, so it's more friendly to curing and stuff because it's got some fat in the meat. But we even talked about uh, beaver tail chicharrones. Oh, I bet this would be good. So yeah, so like shaving it down, dehydrating it, and then frying it. We we're like, whoa! Yeah. <laughs> so, yep, excited to see that recipe if it comes to fruition for sure. But uh, all right, so we, we've talked about trapping and we've talked about the cold winters up north. So now we'll move to the Great Pacific Northwest, the final frontier. Uh, what do you got for us, Colin? Uh, I don't think I've been on since I 
talked about going out for the military veterans waterfowl day. Correct. I don't think I've been on since then, but to give a recap, I did pretty well that day. I was actually uh, pretty proud of myself. I got, ended up getting four ducks because I actually um, I went out there by myself. It was the it was the second time I went out there by myself with nobody else coming with. And uh, even though we're all amateurs, but uh, I was pretty proud to come away after about two hours with nice. four ducks, three widgeons, and a gad. Nice. The old gaddy. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was in a new spot. It was uh, It's private land, but public access. You just got to call and reserve. Um, it's like a cow pasture there. And I think within the first five minutes, I had one down. I hadn't even finished setting up my goose silhouettes yet, and I already had one down. Uh, they were just flying all over the place. Uh, so that was a really good day. I'm looking forward to making stuff out of the out of the meat that I took from there. Um, it it was like a you weren't sitting next to water. It was just a pasture. It was a pasture next to a slough, so there was water right next to me. Okay, and that's I didn't. The first one I shot didn't kill it. It landed and ran into the water, and I had to shoot it again while it was swimming in the water. Um, and I just blamed that on me being a bad shot. And then uh, the next three, I were all in the air, wing shooting. Um, I had some geese fly over as well, but I wasn't loaded up with the right ammo. I had two shot in, and I've been geese usually need about BB or actually I think BB's the highest you can go with them out here. But yeah, I need a BB to take them down. Um, but yeah, that, that's what it was. It's, it's an open pasture, and it's. You just call them a few days in advance. I'm actually, I called them earlier this week. I'm going out there this Saturday for geese. Oh, nice. Nice. Let yeah. us know how you do for sure. That'll be fun. Yeah. Oh, Corey, we forgot. Uh, we, we talked about the Adventure for, for Food films, but we didn't talk about the Adventure for Food podcast. So go, to go back to you. Yes. So we're, all, we're releasing an episode every other Sunday. Mm-hmm. Everybody needs to keep an eye out for those. Those are our fun episodes to listen to because – it it's it's a little break from the norm, you know. They're ten fifteen minutes long. It's quick, quick listen when you're driving, you know, driving to work or a, you know grocery store or wherever. Um, but I want to put it out there to our listeners: if you have a story that you want to tell for Adventures for Food, please uh, email me or uh, at at ksly at harvestingnature dot com or what's cooking at harvestingnature dot com. We will schedule a time that we can record your story. Um, and I encourage everybody to write in to, and tell me they want to tell a story because, you know, everybody can do it. Everybody has a hunting story to tell. And every every hunter I know loves to tell stories. So I think I'd, I'd, I think it'd be great to have listeners tell their story on, on the podcast. Yeah, I think it'd be cool. Everybody gives everybody a break from hearing me talk, which is good. <laughs> I don't know. Based on one one podcast review we got, they, they said that my voice, the reverb of my voice makes them hungry. So um, I guess that's a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> that's the most sincere compliment I think you could ever get. I think so. I think so. <laughs> but I'll, I'll hammer that too. Also, you know, we get the, the hats for reviews. So go uh, you leave five-star review and uh write a verbal review uh we'll we'll come through those and select one to read on air and then we'll call you out and say hey send us a 
your preference on a hat, and we'll send you a hat for free. For freezies. Uh, we don't even ask people to cover shipping and handling. We just do it because we like you. But uh, also, Colin was going to talk about the uh, the community group we have over on, on the Facebook. That's right. So we started a Facebook community group for Harvesting Nature. Uh, it's going to have some of the same com- content as we have on our Instagram and a regular Facebook page, but it offers more of a one-on-one interaction with the Harvesting Nature crew. So check it out. Uh, you can ask questions, and we'll get back to you straight from the crew ourselves. And uh, we're looking forward to seeing you on there. Yeah, we're we're starting to push. I think we're pushing, what, about 100, almost 100 people on there, uh, which is great. Everybody's got Something good like – yeah, everybody's got good questions and comments, and uh, it's just free form to share. Like the, you know, a lot of those Facebook groups get super wonky with what you can and can't share. It's like, you know, you know the space, you know what we're about. So we're we're pretty open to uh, to chatting about whatever as long as it's it's uh, relevant to the conversation. So cool stuff. But no, it's been fun uh, chatting with more people, and a lot of people have been sharing stuff. There too, like what's going on in their neck of the woods. A lot of conservation stuff has been popping up on there, which I think is cool because I always like to follow those stories as to what's happening in different states and just kind of learn what's going on. So uh, that's a neat avenue as well. Well, let's get into the meat of things, I think. And so our, our main focus of this episode, we may trail off into another topic, which I have written down, but the main the main thing I kind of want to talk about is uh, items that are essential for the wild fish and game cook. And I don't necessarily mean when I say items, I'm not talking about uh, ingredients. Uh, we're talking about the tools of the trade. So this can range. We've got a lot of stuff here that we can, uh, we can include in this and it's kind of open-ended. What we're going to do is we should do a little round robin and we're just going to pick an item and then chat about it. Uh, so, I'll go first, and you guys, free form, whatever you say, whatever you want, uh, interrupt me, don't interrupt me, tell me to shut up, uh, <laughs> whatever you feel like doing, uh, we'll go for this. And also, too, I, I, I invite you, the listeners, too, to send us an email if we miss anything, send us an email if you think we should include something, or if there's some secret uh, technique or tool that you have out there that you think we should be using uh, or that we should introduce to the the cooking the wild cooking world, and and we'll be sure to mention it next time we chat. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. So my first item that I want to talk about is uh is chef knives obviously. Um I'm a huge proponent of chef knives. Uh I have a, a a lot of knives admittedly so um that hold different varieties of form but I think that having like one knife out of all I think you could settle with a good chef knife and there's several different sizes. You know, we we actually talked we had an episode with uh, with Arizada and we talked about different chef knives and people that forge knives and all this other stuff. But um, 
I think a solid chef knife is great. Like the one I use is from Germany. You get them imported through New Jersey. It's a, you know, good German steel manufactured. Great. Not a super expensive knife. I think I only paid like a hundred bucks or so for it. Uh, and it's literally, I've had it since I first started cooking, uh, back 12 years, 13 years ago. Uh, and I still use it. So man, that makes me feel old. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a good solid knife. And I think that having that in the kitchen when you're cooking, whether you're chopping meat, whether you're chopping vegetables, whether you're, you know, smashing cloves of garlic, like wh- whatever you're doing, all the, the things, uh, getting familiar and having a good chef knife on hand is pretty, pretty important. Any comments, questions? I, I, I'd like to have a good fillet knife. See, that's on my list too, but that wasn't at the top. I put it, I put it under my fish category though. Cause I obviously don't cut. <laughs> I don't use my fillet knife to cut meat. That just seems sacrilegious. I, I actually do. <laughs> do you? What kind yes. of, all right, well, let's get into it. Let's get into it then. What kind of a uh, fillet knife, what, what kind do you have? And like how many inches is it? <laughs> I have a nine-inch fillet knife. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you use fillet knife to cut meat with versus? I I think the blade blades of the fillet knives that that I have are only four inches, maybe. And I like to use them when I'm skinning the deer. You can uh, get in there and make you know delicate cuts and and do that. And since I have several of them, I just they just wind up in the kitchen. I use it to do certain things whether that's right or wrong because i'm not a chef i've I've never i haven't been trained as a chef we have the you know inexpensive knife kit that has chef knives in it i i use those too but uh i i find myself using a fillet knife a lot of time i yeah i mean i'm not i'm not gonna knock it i was just joking when i said that but uh yeah i definitely grab it i've got so i've got like uh three fillet knives and one I, I always take with me fishing, and then the other one I keep here just at the house to use when I'm here. And then the other one just kind of lives wherever, and I do have a tendency. And then I have, like, three or four, uh, like, boning knives, too, that I use uh, that I'll grab just for whatever suits it. I keep those pretty sharp, but that's usually what I use when I'm, I'm processing because they're, they're smaller. Um, they do remind me of a flay knife. And they're probably only, I think, maybe like four, four to five inch blades on them. So they're pretty easy to handle and move around when you're when you're processing quarters or skinning or doing whatever. So, but yeah, not gonna knock your little fillet knives because I have little fillet knives too. <laughs> I bet you Colin doesn't even have a fillet knife. I, I do have a fillet knife, actually. <laughs> I would like to interject here. Um, and I have to go on the side of Corey. I have used it. I actually don't even think I've filleted a fish with my fillet knife. I've used it for other reasons in the kitchen. There was one time where I got a leg of lamb, and it was too tall for my slow cooker. Actually, no, it was too tall for my Dutch oven that I was going to braise it in. And so I had to end up cutting the meat off of it and doing it like that because I was a really inexperienced cook. This was like three years ago when I first got to Florida. I think Justin, maybe I had I had met you for like a week. So that's what I used it for. 
Nice. I mean, it, it's fair. Yeah. Um. All right. Next. Let's go next. I think every wild game cook should have a smoker, but more than just a smoker, a a grill or that has the ability to smoke or roast or, or um, you know, sear. So I have a Kamado Joe uh, Kamado style grill and the, those things are super versatile. It's, I can, I can s- smoke in it. I can r- roast. I love putting um, a chunk of backstrap in there at like 400 degrees and get a, nice crispy outside and pull it off when it gets like, you know, medium rare. That's, that's awesome. Um, I crank up the heat and you can, you can sear the outside. And, uh, yeah, I think, I think, uh, or like a Traeger, uh, yep. They have a little trouble searing, but, um, definitely roast and smoke and, and do all kinds of different things. Uh, on my pellet grill, I make a lot of pastrami, I, I well, I make a lot of things, but you know, I've done pastrami and and roasted pheasants and turkeys and all kinds of different things. So, I think that is is a absolute must to have at your disposal. Yeah, I I can agree. I agree with that. Um, being able to flip flop between the two grilling types uh, is pretty cool. Like we have, I have the Traeger. Uh, and I, I do love it. Um, we pretty much base a lot of my outside cooking around that. Um, it's been a while since I've used like a, a charcoal grill or, or a gas grill just because it's the trigger kind of be, is my go-to. Yeah. Once, once I got my pellet grill, my Kamado has definitely, I, I've used it a lot less because it's so pellet grill. So convenient, you know, flip switch mm-hmm. and it's going. Um, on like a, a weekend in the summer where I don't, I don't have a lot going on, you know, there's no hunting seasons and, you know, fishing's not good. I'll spend a day and get and fire up that Kamado and, and smoke, smoke something, you know, spend the whole day doing it. Uh, but you know, for the quick cooks, um, the last minute cooks, the, the pellet grill is, is awesome for that stuff. Yeah, I mean you can't beat it. I I had a I had a couple friends over on uh on Saturday and we did I did those uh it was like um venison stuffed steaks. I think the recipes on 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 the website where you take like cheese curds and uh uh seasoned bell pepper slices and stuff and you basically like take a piece of uh of steak. I was using an antelope steak and I pound it super flat. So that it's like maybe a half inch. And then I put all that stuff in there, put some chimichurri sauce in there and then like roll it and tie it with butcher twine. And then you just kind of sear it. But I let it set in there and, and got it to about medium rare and man, Oh gosh, it's so good. Cause the, uh, I use the cheese curds too. Cause they won't melt. They have a, like a higher melting point than like your standard cheese. So they hold together a little better. So that you can uh, you can kind of cut stuff up. Nice, that sounds really good. Yeah, I've got a um, I've got a char griller with a propane side, a charcoal side, and then it has a firebox that flows through the charcoal side, so like indirect heat. 
and that's pretty good for smoking something in like the smoke chamber and then flipping it over to either the propane side if you want like a really high temperature sear or you can put it directly over top of the coals in the firebox and get that kind of sear too so it, it works out pretty nicely yeah i think it's good so Colin, next <laughs> <laughs> um I'm gonna have to say a slow cooker. That was, uh, that's my favorite thing to cook anything in, not just wild game. I think it's just it's so easy to use. It makes delicious food. Uh, so the best food that I've ever made personally have been from a slow cooker, and maybe that's a not really a compliment to my cooking skills. But um, I've made elk chili in there. I've made slow cooked goose breast in there. I've made duck tikka masala which was excellent just Ooh, a few weeks ago that sounds really um, good oh it was so good and you know what inspired me was the episode with uh ryan and emily from the way we hunt they were talking about wild turkey tikka masala oh yeah and uh, i think it was about two days later i was like yeah i think i'm gonna do that and i made duck tikka masala and man that was good um i i, I ate it in two days the whole thing but uh <laughs> yeah I, th- I think the slow cooker if it's uh I mean, you, 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 of course, need other stuff to go with it. You need the chef's knife. Uh, you need a pan to sear stuff with if you want to have that crust on, on some of the meat that you're cooking. But, I mean, it breaks down any of your tough cuts. It's really good for uh, stuff like goose and duck that might be a little off-putting to someone who's trying wild game for the first time. And it, it just breaks them down and combines all those flavors, and I think, I think it's a great tool. I, it's hard it's hard to mess stuff up in a slow cooker yeah i always um i always get like super anxious though um whenever i look at think about slow cooker because it's like you, you have that time commitment you're like all right i need like six hours i need like eight hours and it's not that i'm being impatient i'm just like if i've messed this dish up i'm not gonna know yeah. until like after work and then i'm gonna be upset <laughs> for, the, yeah. for the next day That's- that's true. I would say I also have an instant pot, um, which I haven't used as much as the slow cooker because I'm skeptical of the pressure cooking side of it, speeding things up. Like we made pressure cooked ribs in the instant pot mm-hmm. and they were done in like 45 minutes and they were amazing. I'm just still like, I don't know how to do it on my own. Like I, I know I can throw a whole bunch of stuff in the slow cooker and set it on low for eight hours and it's going to be perfect at the end of eight hours. So, but I don't, I don't have the technique of the instant pot down yet. I'll, I'll tell you, uh, the pressure cookers, I've never used an instant pot, so I don't know, but I have used pressure cookers, electronic pressure cookers too. Before it's inst- the same thing. Before, yeah. in, before instant pots were cool. I'm a, yeah. a pressure cooker hipster, but, um, <laughs> uh, I worked in a restaurant where we did all our, a lot of our meat in the pressure cooker and we like kind of perfected it because it was a cold kitchen, but we wanted to serve hot things, but you couldn't have open flames. So we did okay. like chunks of beef in a pressure cooker. We did, um, we did pork, we did chicken, we did lamb. We did a lot of different things in the pressure cooker. Um, and, and I think as long as you're using the right cuts of meat, uh, that it, it usually comes out great. And Please out there in, in listener land, um, if you disagree with this statement, let me know. Um, but if 
I found that if you try to pressure cook meats that you knew would be tender, if you quick them, cook them quickly, uh, that you usually got something tougher. But if you took tough cuts and you cooked them in the pressure cooker, it usually broke down to be something super tender. Okay. And I, I say that we, we ran into an issue where we were using a cut of meat that was uh, traditionally known to be already tender. And we couldn't figure out why it kept like coming out tough and coming out tough and sort of dry and stringy when, when that's not what we were looking for. And we switched to a fattier cut of meat that was uh, more tough uh, in the initial beginning. And it came out much better. And I, I, I did a lot of research trying to figure it out. And that's kind of what I, I ran across. But um, yeah, that's something I have to look into is like the formula for an instant pot pressure and time and temperature and all that. And kind of how to, how can I put something together on my own and put it in an instant pot when I, you already know how to do it for a slow cooker. So, yeah, that's good. Corey, what do you think? I haven't done much with uh, pressure cookers and or Instapots, so I, d- I don't really have an opinion. What about slow, uh, slow cookers? Slow, cooker. slow Cro- cookers, yeah. Crock, Crock pots. pots. Yep, yep. yep. We, uh, we employ, uh, we have two crock pots, a small one, a big one. I found my the small one that I have, I got way, way back when. I think they changed like like the temperatures of what low and high and keep warm are. It seems like our newer crock Hmm. pot is hotter. So it tends to overcook. Maybe like more, more efficient heating element or something. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not sure, but it tends to overcook things. So we have to, you know, if it says, you know, high for four to six hours, we put it on low and in six hours it's, it's fine. So we got to, I wonder if your heating is different. Yeah. I don't know. See, that's, that's one of those things that scares me though. It's like, uh, because it's a general setting. It's not like a temperature based setting. It's a, it's a higher low. Like, man, it's, it's, I kind of, I kind of love the simplicity behind it though. You know, it's like, yeah, do you want your food in four hours or eight hours? Like when am I going to be home (laughs) from work? (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. If I if I start it right before I leave for work at seven forty five, and I know it's going to be done by three forty five four, and you know if it, if it goes a few minutes over, then eh, no big deal. Um, but if I'm going to be at, like, oh, I'm going to start this at two in the afternoon, and I want it ready by six, then I'll put it on high. In in the same vein as crock pots, well, it's a tangent. Um, I've started. You know, you always want to add that that fat, you know, to keep it moist and and whatnot. I uh, I started. I I bought a gallon of beef tallow, grass fed beef tallow. <laughs> have you have you gone Have you gone through this and bought another one, or just the same one? <laughs> same one, <laughs> same one. Because you can you can reuse you start it. making soap. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> when I use it to fry stuff, in, I'll I'll save it. I'll reuse it, but. I'll throw a couple spoonfuls of that in there. Keeps everything nice and moist and I you know, I really I really like the beef tallow. So I, I told you guys I, I rendered down some tallow uh off a of brisket and I've been using it not quite as liberally as, as Corey has, but um 
I made a, a borscht, a venison borscht the other day. Holy smokes. I used only beef towel as my oil and oh my gosh. Yeah, pretty good. Oh my gosh. Amazing. Yeah, it was so good. I think the last time, that reminds me, the last time I was on, I talked about wanting to collect a whole bunch of duck fat off mm-hmm. the duck that I was planning on getting, which I ended up getting. Um, but I need a better a better method to defeather ducks because I ended up using the like a lighter to get off all the little fuzzies, mm-hmm. and the whole skin on top just smelled like burnt hair afterwards. And I know there's a wax method. I just didn't have all the equipment for it. But if anybody out there has a recommendation for ways to defeather ducks with a lot of the little insulating feathers, I'd be I'd be happy to take your recommendation. I will say this though, uh, our last episode where we talked about the the, the game fats, we, we go through duck in there. Okay. Wade uses the technique of uh, what was it? Wet rendering. Yeah, wet rendering. Uh, huh. Yep, so you should look into it a little more, but specifically okay. for duck, uh, because they, they'll brown and stuff, and that's not what you want. But uh, you essentially like uh, put the the meat or the skin in water, okay, and cook it, and the, you know the fat comes up to the top, uh, and then you can skim away that, and then filter it and do whatever. But yeah, that was his trick, and I'm pretty sure like if if you're able to get the majority of feathers off, and then you took the skin off of the breast. Um, or whatever pieces that you're wanting that you could probably wet render it, uh, with even with bits of feather in there with a few feathers left over. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would fil- make sure you filter it well. Yeah. I would okay. definitely do that. But yeah, it, that way it, it, with the water in there, it acts as like that buffer, like you mentioned in the, in that episode. You're not going to get that burning hair, Mm-mm. burning feather leftover smell. Mm-mm. Okay. So yeah, I, I would look at I would look at that route. All right. Um, let's see. So background to me. So since we're talking about uh, slow cookers and and rendering fat and all those other things, mason jars, huge, uh, huge on my uh, list of uses uh, for food storage. So. I, I use it for stocks, so I take the the stock after I strain it and stuff, and I, I put it into mason jars and then put it in the freezer. Um, I've used it, uh, used different size mason jars to use rendered fats and little bits of, of things that I'm going to use uh, later. And I think mason jars are pretty pretty useful. I also use them as measuring devices, as you know that because each one kind of indicates. Well, depending on which ones you get, like if you get the mason jars, the ball, the taller ones, they have a, you know, they have the different, uh, I think it's in half cup or quarter cup increments on there, all the way up usually to one or two cups, depending on what size jar you have. And sometimes if I don't have a handy measuring cup or measuring spoon or whatever, I'll, I'll just grab whatever mason jar I see in the cabinet and use it to measure. So it's kind of twofold. Yeah, I've used mason jars to pickle before. Pickled yep. onions yep. and yep. jalapenos. Pickled leeks. Yeah. Are you, have you guys can't have you guys uh quote unquote canned meat or yeah yeah not once or twice. How 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 did it turn out? Good. It's 
it's it's really simple. Um, you don't you don't add water or anything. You just pack the jar with with the you know cube up your meat. Make sure there's no fat on it. Pack the jar. You know you can add a couple slices of garlic or onion or something. Um, and then you have to pressure can it because it has to. You can't just boil can it. You have to pressure can it. But then it's like. I think basically it's it's cooked then, and then it's it's almost like a a pot roast coming out. It's already it's you know it's it's real quick meal like pop open a can. It's the ultimate slow cooker, right? <laughs> you like flip that. You're like I'm gonna flip this to twelve week setting. <laughs> Eight years later, you pull out your canned meat. <laughs> oh man, I don't do it um, often because. You know, there's so many other things I like to to do with my venison that uh, I, I don't want to keep. I don't want to keep the uh, the cubes and and do it for that because it doesn't doesn't seem to go very far. It takes a lot of meat to you know make more than just a couple uh, pint jars of canned venison. You know. Yeah, I think that'd be like if the snow apocalypse came and we're like rationing out food at my house, I'm like, here's your, here's your Mason jar of uh, food for the day. Uh, and that would be that. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, we, we tend to go through meat pretty quickly here. So, yeah. So you, you use, you use Mason jars to do your stock. Uh, what I like to do with my stock is I've, uh, freeze it in like Tupperware containers, and then the next day oh. I, I I pop pop it out of the Tupperware container and vacuum seal it. So my next huh. essential piece oh. of equipment is a vacuum sealer. All right, your... wait. <laughs> Go ahead. I, I got follow on. Well, that was an excellent transition. Way Thank to you. go, Corey. Thank yeah, you. Uh, for that. Yeah. <laughs> Does your vacuum sealer not have like the low pressure setting? So the one I have has a setting where you can do liquids. It's not a chamber sealer, but it's for like more liquefied or I guess softer foods that you can still vacuum seal without having to chamber seal it. So mine's just that like hundred dollar food saver vacuum sealer and it's either dry or moist foods. So which I can't I try to use the moist side, but you can't, it, I can't tell a difference. I think it takes, I think it, it spends more time sealing the bag. So I think it does a better job sealing the bag when you use the moist setting. But if I, it's okay. very frustrating trying to do, um, like we, we roast, um, our neighbor grows sweet corn. Um, and we, we buy, um, a bushel of of his corn and roast it over the fire and then cut it off the cob and vacuum seal it so yep. we can have it in the winter but that has so much okay. moisture in it that it's so hard to vacuum seal it because it, it pulls that moisture out so i don't i don't have the best vacuum sealer to do that so one thing i do i think i'm going to start doing is kind of like flash freezing it and then vacuum seal it so i don't have to have to mess with all that moisture and worry about unsealed vacuum bags. Yeah. Ooh, that's, that's, a good that's yeah, that's a good idea. I, uh, 
I think I have the same exact vacuum sealer you do, uh, Corey. It's like the the black one that kind of looks like a uh, an ovalish triangle. No, nope. it has the same buttons. Oh, well, okay, no. <laughs> I, I have a I have a Nesco, which is like black and silver, and huh. I think it's specifically made for. Well, I guess the sealer itself isn't, but the bags that came with it are like designed for sous vide, but you can also freeze stuff with it. So I have a bunch of like all the ducks that I have, all that meat is sealed in these bags in the freezer, but I also currently have steaks that I vacuum sealed in the sous vide right now with it. Like in the sous vide right now? Currently as we're, as we're speaking. Nice. I use my vacuum sealer for for just about everything. So the steaks mm-hmm. and fish and you know geese or duck or anything. The only thing that I don't use it for is my ground venison cuz it's what I do with that. So I put it in a quart Ziploc bag and then I press it flat, press all the air out and that that works well enough for me that I I don't because it's such a it's pretty time consuming to because I do double seals on each end so it's time consuming to make all those bags and then seal them all up so you know when I'm I'm grinding up you know thirty forty pounds of meat and uh, I try to do one pound bags I I, I don't like I don't want to do that with the vacuum sealer but other than that I use it for just about everything else I uh so talking about i put kitchen scale on my list uh because i like to weigh i portion out the meats uh and i try to do like one pounds um but i still use vacuum sealer bags for my ground and i still flatten them out just like you do i just use extra bags but that's just me i i also use the kitchen scale to to get that perfect one pound bag full of ground venison i get so like anal retentive about it i'm like it has to be a pound and if i have if while i'm packaging and i have like one that's less than a pound i'll just cook it (laughs) i I refuse to put under or oversized portions in the freezer (laughs) i'm i'm finding out that one pound of ground venison is is not quite enough to feed my growing family so i'm gonna have yeah i'm even at that if I get fish, I mean, like I, I'm, I've now I noted it the other day. I was like, I have to get like a pound and a half of fish uh, if I go to the market, or a pound and a half of shrimp or whatever. So, whoa, which Colin? I found somebody to take me sh- uh, like recreational shrimping out here. Oh yeah, super stoked nice. about it. Yeah, get some of those pink shrimp. Yep, yep, QS pinks, my favorite. All right, Colin, next. Uh, I already mentioned it a couple times, but I'm going to have to say sous vide. Uh, I know it's been mentioned on here on the previous episodes many times, but um, when I got the sous vide, that was a game changer for not even wild game. In fact, I didn't even use it on wild game until pretty recently within the past couple months. Um, but the most perfect steaks I've ever made have been through sous vide. Uh, most perfect chicken I've made through has been through sous vide. Um, I've had farm raised duck from the store and made that through sous vide. And I think that is, it's a tool that 
is so versatile and can be used for everything, vegetables, meat. Uh, you can use mason jars like we were talking about. You can make desserts in it. Um, it's, it's fantastic. Uh, it's, it's, it's really, really versatile and really worthwhile. And uh, I've made, so the ducks that I made in it have turned out incredible. You just sear it before you put it in there and then put it in with some salt, pepper, olive oil, or butter. And then uh, leave it in there for about an hour and take it out, sear it again. It's perfect. And, uh, yeah, I think that's that's going to be my next one. Ooh, yeah. I like the sous vide. It's a uh, – we spent like a whole episode talking about how magical I know, and I don't want to – I don't want to beat it to death, but I have a wand sous vide, not the you, – Justin, you have like the whole immersion one, right? I do, yeah. I have the water circulator – or no – it's the yeah, sous vide oven. oven. Or, I forget. Right, yeah. yeah, I forget. Yeah, so basically there's no no insert. You just think of a tub that heats yep. it. Basically, like, think of a slow cooker, but you control the temp on it. That's the easiest way to, to think about and it. This is like a whole network of opportunities because the Instant Pot has a sous vide. <laughs> it has, it, I'm not trying to plug Instant Pot, but they have a sous vide setting on it as well, just for your information. <laughs> okay well i don't know i'm i'm <laughs> i i am a self-admitted not gadget guy like i uh i i still stick to very old school cooking methods i don't know i don't know <laughs> me me neither my dad is a gadget guy so he always mm. gets me gadgets for christmas and then i feel like you know i have to use them I, yeah I, I don't like having something and not using it so that's fair all right, I guess back around to me, huh? Mm, cutting cutting board, large cutting board, or cutting table. Um, I think both Corey and I now are part of the large cutting table club. Yes, yes. it's It's been a game changer for me when I'm processing my deer in the garage. It's I put, uh, yep. father-in-law gave me that. It's, it's a butcher block table. I put it on casters. And I, I cover the block with a cloth and set it in the corner of the garage when I'm not using it. But, you know, whenever I get something, whether it's, I, I've used it, you know, squirrel, deer, duck, geese, I'll roll it out and, you know, right to next where I'm, next where, where I'm working and has a nice handy table, put it right there and then wheel it to the end of the garage, spray it off with the, with the hose and wipe it down clean. It takes me two minutes to, to clean up instead of, you know, trying to do a big cutting board in the house and trying to clean it in the sink and making a big mess. It's yep. It's right there. It's clean. It's, it's done. It's handled. I love it. So I, uh, it, it was my Christmas present actually. Um, I, I took a couple notes from your playbook uh, when I saw you post it. As a matter of fact, we should we should both post our uh, we should both post our cutting tables uh, on on Instagram. Oh, you know what uh, I, I did, did to not to interrupt you, but you know what I did <laughs> my uh, cutting table here in the last month or so. So I put a knife holder on it. What close? I have an old fridge oh. that, for the garage that um that i use you know it's a beer fridge and then in the fall it's where i put hold my my deer when i'm 
you know, in the process of cutting it up. But the you know, it has those crisper drawers. Yeah. So I I made it so I, I can put the drawers on underneath my table so they slide out. Oh man, that's so cool. So it's uh You just like you just that's all right. Challenge accepted, Corey. <laughs> I gotta up the game on my uh my cutting table, which I was so very proudly gonna share with you. <laughs> um do you a question for both of you since you have cutting tables and i don't uh <laughs> do you have separate cutting boards that are like serving platters like the i'm thinking of the cutting boards with the little ridges cut out so it collects the juices and you can pour it out a moat do you, have one of those? Do you know they're called moat? moats m-o-a-t just like a castle uh, moat i did not but i do like that they're called that yeah, it's pretty neat. So, oh yeah. yeah. Um so I have inside the house I have uh I have a baking cutting board. I have two cheese cutting boards. I have three plastic cutting boards, like the food grade plastic ones, and then I have one super ultra fancy cutting board that I don't really use except for like putting fancy stuff on. What's a bacon cutting board? So it's really cool. So it's like uh, it's probably two feet by two feet. It's perfect square, and then uh, on one side it's got like a ruler down the side of it. Uh, so it's got you know inlaid text of of a ruler, and then in the center it's got a series of circles for different measurements. So like three inch, six inch, nine inch, twelve inch, whatever. So if you're like uh, shaping dough, you can make it the appropriate size for whatever pan you're using. Right. Okay, that's pretty cool. But the other side is just plain wood, and so I just use it to cut stuff on. <laughs> nice. All right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's inside. But then outside, I have the cutting table, which was my Christmas Christmas present, which does not have cool crisper drawers on it yet. Uh, I'll caveat that. But it's a uh, I basically somebody had put out uh, the frame of an IKEA desk. So like one of those, uh, basically just like moves up and down. So it, it, it only went up to like, uh, I think 33 inches or something like that. So I took a, a, a play out of Corey's book and I bought like four inch casters for it and I put on the bottom. So that gave me like another few inches of height. So it's, uh, above waist height. So it's comfortable cause I hate bending over, uh, when you're cooking or cutting, uh, all the cabinets in my house are a little taller and stuff, uh, an old that's, that's an old hot tip is make sure your countertops are appropriate to your height. So you're not straining, but, um, the, the table itself is half, it's half, uh, red Oak. So I took red Oak, a big slab of it, like a two by two by three and, uh, did a spar varnish on it. So it's all sealed up super nice waterproof. So that's sort of my, my prep area. And then on the other side, I use that, uh, like poly plastic starboard. And I use that cause that, if you don't know, is also food grade and you can get like a two by three piece of it or two by four. I think it's two by four piece of it. Um, for like 40, 40, 50, 60 bucks. And it's huge. It's a great working surface. It's black. So it, it doesn't show stains and whatnot. And then this is my favorite part is I took two pieces of the starboard, I put a washer in between it, 
and then I screwed them together and then put them in between the wood and the uh, and the starboard, the flat pieces, and they stand vertical. And so that's a clear gap, and I can slide my knives in there. Nice. And so they're like pointing down, so they're not just laying on top of the table to slide off. So. Yeah, you gotta you gotta take a picture of this and and post it or send it to me so I can post it because yeah, that sounds that sounds like a really nice really nice table. I, I mean, it doesn't have sliding drawers yet, but it's a work yeah, in so, progress. So clearly, not as nice as Corey's. But. Not as nice as Corey's, and it, the story is not as good because I I pulled like half of it out of the dumpster. <laughs> <laughs> Equally as nice, just different functions. Um, I definitely got the the base for my neighbor. <laughs> but would you also call those a butcher block, or do you view a butcher block as something different? Oh man, see that there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of like specific specificity in it. Ugh. Yeah, is that a terminology so, like, thing? Or? Yeah, so like Corey's. Corey's, I would say, is like a butcher block because it's like that solid wood, like thick uh, slats of wood, right, yep. Corey? Kinda yeah, slats put of together. Wood. Yep, and it's like two, two or three inches thick. It's it's toting, you know, bring that thing home. It was it was a chore lifting that up. Yeah, and then they have like actual butcher blocks, which are either like pressed pieces of wood together that are like glued or epoxy together, or they're just one solid square. But I mean, I think the the term butcher block table or butcher block cabinet or all that stuff is is used pretty loosely these days. I wouldn't call mine. I would call mine more of a cutting table uh, yeah. than than anything. My so my okay. grandparents owned a grocery store and a butcher shop way back when my dad was growing up. They retired, uh, but they kept all the equipment in the butcher shop. So so. Uh, growing up, my family, my dad, my uncles um, used that to cut up their deer. But there was a true, a true butcher block in there. It was, you know, it was what two or three feet wide, five feet long, and it was, mm-hmm. it was like two feet thick. It was like this oh, wow. huge chunk of a table that I don't know how you would even get it in or out of that house but it was that i think that's what you know when you say a butcher block that's what what yeah the true definition is i i think of a place so growing up um we would go up north about like 30 minutes from from my hometown to where like some of my aunts and uncles lived and on the way there was this little place on the side of the road it, it was a smokehouse. Like they made beef jerky and they made hams. If I remember correctly, it was called Robertson Hams. And it like literally looked like something out of the old west, just on the side of the 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 two lane highway, soon to be four lane highway at that time. But it uh like a wooden porch, all wood around it, like there was a little smokehouse built on the side, and they did hams like all the time but they had beef jerky and stuff. But inside I still remember like being there in a kid, like rubbing my hands over it. Like this varnish just like divoted the center of this thing was, uh, it sloped inward sort of almost like a bowl, not as deep as a, like a mixing bowl, but about half that. And just from things being cut and just being worn out over time. Yeah. On that's this old school, like block. That's how ours, ours, 
was or my grandparents was it was you know being used so much and everything kind of sloped you know sloped to the one side mm-hmm. i think it, it, that that's just like such a memorable moment i'm glad you brought that up because that triggered that that's a happy moment for me I remember going there because we'd go stop and get in there and get beef jerky and stuff all the time uh, as we were traveling because it was like a midway point. But that's pretty cool. All right, next, next, Corey. Uh, what have we talked? What What did you just say? What was the uh, large, large cutting board? Oh yes, that's right, right. Um, a Dutch oven. You need to have a. I I love oh. have an enamel line Dutch oven. I think that's. I do a lot of braising in my Dutch oven. See, I don't. I don't have an enamel lined one. You have a cast iron one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I have a cast. But I do want to get one. I have a cast iron one as well, and I I got it at like a yard sale for like five bucks. It was brand new, and I nice. uh, I braised something in it, and it it took all of the seasoning off. Ooh. So um, I've been trying to I've been trying to reseason it, but I haven't had much much luck. Maybe I'll try the beef tallow on it. Uh, no, don't use. Uh, don't I've use. I've had to reseason tallow. my cast iron pan a couple times, uh, and just I usually just do like a layer of olive oil, so it's not like a like a thick layer of olive oil. It's just kind of coating the surface of the bottom of the pan. And then salt and pepper, and then maybe I'll throw some like thyme in there or something. And I forget what the exact temperature. I want to say it's four hundred, and you just put it in there for like thirty minutes, and then wipe everything out. And that usually seasons it pretty well. Yeah. So essentially, uh, I'll hit quick on this. Uh, cast iron's porous, right? It's a great. Um, it's great at distributing heat. It's not great at distributing heat evenly, but it's great at holding heat. So it holds the temperature well. Um, also, just very easily manufactured throughout time and blah, blah, blah. Cast iron is great. Love cast iron. When you're seasoning it, you're essentially adding oil. Picture like if you've got a dent or something, right? And you uh, you take some of that oil and you put it in there. And uh, you're filling in that dent and it's basically cooking in there. Filling in the dent, cooking, filling in the dent, cooking, filling in the dent, cooking until the the dent is equal to the other surface so uh you're making sort of a porous surface smooth using the seasoning technique with oil but you can also take it do it uh you can do a couple light coats of uh like a light coat of oil flip it upside down on your smoker or uh or your grill like if you got a good temp do it that way too oh i bet that'd be good using it Getting that smoke flavor in there. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But Dutch ovens, Corey. Uh, Dutch, ovens. Sorry, Dutch ovens. <laughs> Weird rant. Uh, yeah, that enamel line Dutch oven. Um, don't have to be so um, careful with the seasoning and and um, you know with with the enamel lined one. But I use it. I use it for a lot of different things. For you know, I'm you know Osabuco and raising down my squirrels and goose legs and thighs and ducks legs and thighs and all that fun stuff. So yeah, I use it a lot. 
I think I'm I think I'm gonna have to get I'm gonna have to get one of the enamel ones. I'll probably wait till we move, but uh yeah, I'm gonna get one for sure. Corey Corey, do you have a I'm gonna say the brand here, but do you have a Lake Reset? Lake Reset? I I don't think so. It's an inexpensive one that okay. I, uh probably from Walmart or you know, Sam's Club or something. Doesn't doesn't Lodge I think Lodge makes some too that Lodge is the cast iron that I have. Yeah, I have, uh, me too. I've actually, I have, like you, Corey, I have braised stuff in my Dutch oven, uh, but I find it works really well for frying stuff with using like a grapeseed oil or some kind of vegetable oil because use, it doesn't use spray oil all over your... Yeah, use beef tallow for your oil now. All right, I'll look in again some <laughs> beef tallow. <laughs> but, uh, until... Until... Until May. Until May. Oh, you mean for bear oil? I don't have bear oil? <laughs> yeah. Shh. <laughs> Secret. We, we... Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I said. Um... Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Lodge totally makes one. Ooh, they have a six-quart one? That's what I'm going to get. But uh, I find it's good for frying stuff because it doesn't spray oil all over your stove. So if you're, like, worried about cleanup and having to do all that post cooking cleanup and everything or getting oil out of like the cracks and crevices around your stove. Um, a Dutch oven does a really good job about containing all that. Ooh, I that's like. a good, that's a hot yeah, tip. Hot too. tip yeah. yeah. All right. Let's see. Colin, close us out. Last one. And we've talked about so many different tools. Um, I, I don't think there's any one tool that is better. That That's like the end all be all to all tools in the kitchen. Um, oh gosh, I don't even know if I can think of one. If you don't, I, I have a backup. I, I have one as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think. I don't know if I can think of one. We've All talked right, I'm about gonna, every, everything I can think of. I'm going to combine three together. Oh, wow. Um, because we, we haven't talked much about fish, and I want to hit this one. So I got like the, the, the whole fish, Josh Nyland's whole fish cookbook. I got that for Christmas. So I've been spending a lot of time researching and playing around with recipes in there, which I'm really excited about. But three things I took away from there, one of which I already used, uh, two of which I had but didn't use. Uh, fish spatula. And if you guys don't know what a fish spatula is, go look it up. And then once you use it, it's going to change your game. Um, cause everybody hates when you go to flip fish, like if you're searing it or sauteing it or whatever, and it falls apart because your spatula is oddly shaped. Uh, fish spatulas are like longer and thinner. It, it holds the fish when you flip it essentially. But yeah. Always use those in the restaurant. So I've always had them. Um, shears. Um, I've been playing around with filleting. And doing different stuff, encompassing uh, the fillet knife and shears in there too. And then I've started for some fish instead of using the fillet knife to cut the skin off, uh, been using fish pliers, which are a thing. You can also use them to take bones out too. Look up Japanese fish pliers; they're pretty cool. They're like a little set. They're probably four or five inches wide, stainless steel, uh, so that you can keep them clean, but yeah, use them to take bones off. But I was peel, I was peeling fish the other day <laughs> and, uh, it worked really well. And I was happy cause it left some cool tissues like on the fish, which later gave it some, some neat flavors that I think I probably would have cut off. Plus you don't waste a lot of meat whenever you try to cut it. And if you'd like turn your fillet knife the wrong way and take off gouges out of the fillet, 
There you go. That's my fish rant. Corey, what's what's your last one? Meat grinder. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Definitely. That was on my list too. So I don't have a meat grinder, so that's why I didn't think of it. Yeah, I I mean you get people you get it I think I have so I have two grinders now because I gave one away. I've got the big grinder that like rips through meat. Uh, and then I've got the grinder that you attach to like the Cuisinart, which, in, and we were talking with the Rick and, and Jenny from food for hunters. And, uh, she's like, Oh yeah, you know, we grind, we grind meat pretty much like not on demand, but like as we need to use it versus like grinding it and storing it. And, uh, I was like, what, wait, what? Like you set up the big, huge grinder every time. She's like, no, no, no. We just use the Cuisinart. I was like, Oh, why didn't I think of that? So they have one that attaches to the mixer that's like, you know, smaller. But if you're just doing cooking for a couple of people, like it's 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 a pretty good idea. Yeah, I think KitchenAid has one too. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. It's pretty easy to find one for those big mixers. Yeah, I think I think I meant I meant KitchenAid. I'm sure Cuisinart has one as well. No, yeah, we have one of those KitchenAid um, grinders, but I never use it because I. I do all my grinding all at once, um, but I found yeah. that I really need to invest in a better one, the next size up, because I think right now I have just like the 500 watt kind. I need like the half horsepower or three quarter horsepower to really rip through, rip through the, because I, I make sausage and, and, and all kinds of different things. So it, grinding that meat i gotta do a double grind and it just takes a long time to get through through everything you know what i've been noticing though uh with with different brands of grinders is they all look the same yep um i I don't know if there's like a single manufacturer that's that's putting these grinders together somewhere either in the u.s or abroad but it's like they look the same they operate the same they just have a different logo slapped on them and some varying price points too, which I think is very interesting. So, yeah, I, that's probably going to be one of the next big purchases that I make is a, like a, a kitchen grinder like that. I mean, I'll have to get the whole mixer and everything for it, but mm-hmm. you know, all those attachments, it's, it's probably worthwhile. Supposedly my parents have my grandfather's hand cranked, grinder in their garage somewhere i've been asking my dad for months to send it to me but i don't think he's oh, those, those are pretty cool they're a lot of work um cool. yeah i got i have the the i have the grinder the mixer and the sausage stuffer for meat um i like both the sausage stuffer and the grinder i don't care for the mixer uh, as much i don't really. i don't do I don't do as much mixing uh, of ground meats and stuff before I make sausage. Like if I make sausage, I generally only make like two, three pounds because I like to make different varieties. Uh, oh, you're talking thing. about the mixture for like meat for ground meat. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. so I, I always thought of the mixer as like a baking tool. Oh yeah, uh, they. I mean, they have those mixers, uh, mixers like the uh, yeah. uh, uh, the KitchenAid. Like I have one of those. That's that's sort of what I was talking about, but. Okay. Or I wasn't talking. I was talking about this big like mixing bin. Gotcha. Yeah. I used I used meats sausage stuffer to make my pepperoni sticks this fall, and it it 
it was a lot easier using that than trying to use the sausage stuffer that comes with the grinder. Mm-hmm. So I agree. There, it's like hand crank, so I there's more control. But yep. I, I think I have uh, I have the larger size, and you either I have to figure out a way to bolt it to my table. Oh yeah, yeah. They need they need to send a clamp with it or something. Or like another set of hands to somebody because you can't you can't uh, ultimately like what I would want to be able to do is is to turn the crank and be able to pipe the sausage at the same time but you can't do it because it starts like sliding all over the table uh, and it just makes it kind of and then you'll like hit an air pocket or something and need to go back and it just like it doesn't it, it doesn't work quite as, as as I would like it to. Do you um, Corey? Do you use or I guess what kind of casings do you use? Um, I bought a kit that had uh, collagen casings that came with it, um, but I've made uh, I've made sausage before that I've used um, natural hog casings with too. Yeah, I've I've flip flopped from both. Um, depend, depend I don't on know. The I don't... Sausage, you know what I'm making? Sausage or snack sticks or whatever. I mean, I don't have a preference. I've I've used both. I think so, but I want to say I want to save uh, a lot of the the sausage conversation for a later episode because I think we could have a whole episode on making sausage for sure. Sausage party. <laughs> we could have a sausage party. <laughs> Corey's kicked off now too. <laughs> the Corey, family Corey show. Off show. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well. I think I'll wrap it up there. I think we hit pretty much everything really, really well. Uh, it was a good conversation about all that stuff. So we'll do uh, ooh, alibis. Corey, got any last thoughts, alibis? I'm just trying to think if I what I left off my list. I think I think we hit everything that was on my list. So it's always fun to have a crew chat. Yeah, 100. percent It's always good. So. I'm glad we uh, ended on that note talking about the different types of grinders and everything and, and sausage and everything. Cause uh, hopefully I get some geese this weekend and uh, I think that's probably my favorite way to eat goose is ground in sausage and smoked. So, all right. So two, two, two pieces of homework for you with your geese for, hunting heart specifically. Okay. Yep. Hearts and uh, gizzards. gizzards. All right. Yeah, you know, it, I just watched the uh, the second half of the new meat eater season, mm-hmm. and I saw them break open all those gizzards and everything, and I was kicking myself, and I was like, man, I can't believe I forgot about gizzards. So yeah, yeah. I I have I'm just gonna say I have eight geese hearts in my in my freezer right now that. I think what I'm going to do is stuff them with spicy venison sausage, wrap them and bake them and throw them on the pellet grill. Ooh, that's good. good. Yeah. I saw a cool, uh, I saw a cool recipe. Um, a guy took and cured, uh, a venison heart and made venison heart bacon. But because of the, like the way the fat lies in the heart, it looked very similar to, uh, to actual bacon. It was pretty cool. Nice. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. So, and he like flattened it. It was it was neat. Uh, I forget who it was. I saw it somewhere on the Insta, but 
any other last thoughts, Colin? I'll, I'll go ahead and give mine. No, I don't. This is a fun crew chat. Uh, yeah. I hope, I hope people take away a lot from it. And uh, I really am looking for uh, for listener recommendations about different ways to deep feather birds. You know, we have a couple already, but uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing about them. I would say that's that's a good one. If you have any other kitchen tools that we we missed that you think we should include in our list, let us know. Um, also to like Corey mentioned earlier, if you are interested in doing an, an adventures for food recording, that'd be cool too. Uh, we would love to hear your story about getting out and hunting or fishing. And, uh, outside of that, I think my last thought is awesome crew chat. Always great talking with you fellas. Um, I think you covered some good ground. Actually, either you I have guys, one, I have one more thing. Sorry. Before I forget. What? <laughs> Don't forget to check out the Harvesting Nature Facebook community. Uh, yeah. We really like to see some interaction on there, and we're looking forward to seeing what you have to say or questions that you have and reaching out back to you. Yep, for sure. Uh, since Colin plugged that, I'll skip my social media plug. But I will say whatever <laughs> podcast platform you're listening to, punch that five-star button. Leave us a review. Chance to win a hat. And then uh, also, too, I forgot to mention this earlier on, but uh, you can buy us a cup of coffee. Uh, say thanks. Three bucks goes a long way when a lot of people are buying cups of coffee. We stay up a lot of late hours recording podcasts and editing and writing and traveling and shooting great films and photographs and cooking delicious food. So those cups of coffee help get us through our day. Uh, so you can do that, too. Link in the show notes. But with all that said, leave us a review. Give us coffee. Tell us what we're doing wrong. Tell us what we're doing right.